this morning I'm going to share with you out of the book of Joshua. And in doing so, we're going to look in specificity at chapter 6, which records a story that probably many of you are familiar with from your earliest days growing up in Sunday school. And it's the story of Joshua and the people marching around Jericho's walls. But just let me caution you today before I begin, I think one of the great tragedies of those who have grown up in church world is after we have read a story once in the Bible or heard it taught multiple times, we develop the false belief that there ain't nothing new in it for the Spirit of God to speak to me. But see, our theology of Scripture is that it's a living and a breathing text, which means that it speaks life to the reader every time they open the book. That means you can read the same story a hundred times, but on the hundred and first time, the Spirit of God illuminate a new truth in your heart that provides principles, course correction for the rest of your life. And so I just want to encourage you, you know, don't tune out because you heard the story before. We all heard the story before. We all familiar with the passages and the great stories and the great characters all throughout Scripture, but God is faithful to reveal himself in fresh and new ways every time that we open the living word and allow it to speak to the core tenets of our hearts. Starting in Joshua 6 and in verse 1, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says this, Now the gates of Jericho, they was securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Joshua has just got out of the world's worst camping trip for 40 years with folks who complained more than you could ever imagine to such a degree that Moses, Aaron, and an entire generation is kept out of the promised land because of their dialogue against God. And so God places the anointing on Joshua to lead. He takes a new generation out of the wilderness and into the promised land. And walking into the promised land, the first thing that they find is a fortified city that must fall in order for God's people to fill the earth. But it says something interesting of note about Jericho. As the Israelite army moved in close, they secured the gates. They barred them. Nobody could go out and nobody could go in. As I think about that verse in our context today, I, I'm made aware of several principles that I think are applicable for our lives this morning. When a city operates in fear, it ceases to be a place of freedom and innovation. But when a church operates in fear, it hangs on to what is instead of pursuing what's next. See, when a Christian operates in fear, see, their life becomes small, their faith becomes empty, and their vision ceases to exist. See, fear causes your gates to be shut. It causes your opportunities to stop. It causes your provision to dry up and your resource to run dry. We must never allow what surrounds us to be the reason we don't dare to dream, dare to build, dare to speak, and dare to shout. It's no wonder David says in Psalms 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. Just this week at the Seattle campus, somebody thought it'd be a great idea to throw a brick through our front window. 
shot out the stained glass with a BB gun, broke our lighted sign. We had a flood in the basement. I thought to myself, ain't that just like the enemy? When you start taking a step in the direction of your destiny, it feels like all hell breaks out against you. But friend, we will not fear. And in this thing, we will be confident. Let me be honest this morning. You know what freaks me out, Seattle? You know what could cause anxiety in my life? Finances. You know what has the tendency to make me fearful? Renting a stadium for Easter and hoping God fills it. But here's what I've learned. Faith is being scared to death and doing it anyways. And I'd rather live with the potential of failure than the regret of not trying in the first place. I preached last week, maybe the most direct sermon I've ever given on the importance of Christian engagement in the public square. To be honest, I got so much good feedback from folks in this room, and I just want to say thank you for the encouragement. I also got attacked more online this week than probably the last eight years combined, but here's what I found. Just about any time I sense culture's pressure not to address an issue, it serves as an invitation from God to speak up. It was crazy this week. We started getting all these emails from Houston. All these people emailing in, hey, we heard Pastor Russell's sermon. We live in Houston. We live in Dallas. We live in Fort Worth. I couldn't figure out how it made it all the way to Houston. So finally, somebody messaged me. They said, you'll never believe this. One of the largest radio broadcasters who runs a syndicated show in Texas, somebody sent them your sermon. He was so shook, he played the entire thing start to finish twice on his morning program. look up that radio broadcast. I listened to his report. He said, after we played this sermon, he said, I woke up the next morning to over a thousand emails from people in the city saying, yo, that's the message we needed. I felt God do something in my heart. I stood up and shouted in my living room and I just thought to myself, man, a little courage goes a long way, especially when you're facing fear and attack from the enemy. See, friend, you are a gate. Hear me, this church is a gate. Your influence is a gate, and people wait on the other side of your obedience. And when fear causes you to seal your gates, it'll cause everything behind your walls to begin to slowly die. See, when you get hurt in a relationship, you gotta make a choice. When you get hurt at church, you gotta make a choice. When you get hurt in business, you have to make a choice. Will I shut my gates? Live a small life, never make a new friend, never attend church again, never trust again? Or will I make the tough yet necessary decision to try, trust, believe, serve, give, and hope again? Why? Because I am not just dying to protect my past. I am living in order to embrace my future. Now watch the type of city and the type of gates that every believer should strive to build. Revelation 21. This city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. 
The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut. For there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into it. See, that's a heavenly city, but, but Jericho was different. It wasn't a heavenly city. It was a territory occupied by the enemy. Do you know that its name literally translated to the phrase, people who worship the moon? It was the first fortified city in the promised land that the Israelites had to conquer. You know what's funny? The more things change, the more they stay the same. People still worship the stars and the moons today. Let me help you this morning. If you are an Aries, the stars and planets will not affect your life in any way. If you are a Taurus, the stars and planets will not affect your life in any way. If you are a Gemini, a Cancer, a Leo, a Virgo, a Libra, a Scorpio, a Sagittarius, a Capricorn, an Aquarius, a Pisces, or a Presbyterian, the stars and the planets will not affect your life in any way. Now the constellations and the planets cannot tell you your future. Tarot cards and psychics cannot tell you your future. Crystals and potions cannot heal your broken heart. Your chakras do not need to be aligned. Your spirit needs to be regenerated. Your sins need to be forgiven. Your future needs to be secured. And hasn't this been the tactic of the enemy all along? Deceive people into worshiping the creation while they miss out on the creator. See, Jericho wasn't originally populated by the Israelites. It was inhabited by the people of Canaan. So why did Joshua operate as if it was his city to take? Because it doesn't matter who lives where. When God says it's yours, it becomes the only permission you need to move in and take over. But God, the enemy been there for a thousand years. Yeah, but it's time for the church to advance. But God, this city been dark for so long. Yeah, but it's time for someone to turn on the lights. See, there is an interesting literary dichotomy at play in Joshua 6. God tells Joshua, I've given you the land, but what God really means is I've given you an invitation to conquer. See, if I'm Joshua, I'm wishing God would just give me a pre-built, already developed, already secured, move-in, ready piece of land. I made it to the promised land. What more do you expect? I made it to church. What more do you want? I got out of bed. What else do you need? But I got a question for you this morning. How much destiny in your life goes undeveloped because you were expecting the finished product when God was only giving you an invitation to start? See, now when we bought this building three and a half years ago, not only did I use every ounce of faith, but about every dollar in our bank account just to make the down payment to get in. We did our big heart for pursuit offering years ago. I said, guys, we're gonna buy to JCPenney, one of the biggest buildings in the downtown district. Let's do it. I think we raised about a hundred grand. I thought I was the richest man in the world. Hundred grand don't go that far when you gotta remodel a 25,000 square foot building with no bathrooms, broken electrical and broken plumbing. And in those days, like we do today, we still had a early Wednesday morning prayer meeting. I can't tell you how many days 
I take those blueprints that I got from the architect. I put them under my arm. I walk back and forth in this altar and pray in tongues until I didn't have any voice left. Just believing that the same God who opened a door to get into the building would be the same God who would open a door for finances and laborers to finish the building. To be honest, I was a little exhausted. To be honest, I was a little irritated, but I was possessed with a vision that I had received from on high and I could not allow the fear of more work to come to be the reason why I didn't trust God in the middle of my process. Friend, when you get a prophetic word, it ain't a guarantee. It's an invitation to do work. I got a word, pastor. They said, I'm going to be the next American Idol worship pastor. I'm going to have the voice of an angel. Okay, right now you got the voice of a demon. So you need lessons. You got to work. Well, I got a word. My spouse is on the way. Okay, but you need work. And the Bible says something interesting. He said, the Lord rejoices when the work begins. Man rejoices when the work ends. But God rejoices when the work begins. Because when the work begins, the person of God is telling, uh, the the people of God are are telling God himself, look, I trust you. It ain't going to be easy. It's going to be a lot of late nights and early mornings. There's going to be some disappointments on the way and probably some hell in the hallway that I'm going to have to fight. But the same God who was faithful before gonna be faithful again. And I'm just gonna trust him in the process until what I see in my spirit is manifested in the flesh. Now watch verse two. The Lord said to Joshua, he said, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. I want you to see this this morning, friend. Land takes on the morality of the user. There is no such thing as an evil piece of dirt or a sinful piece of land. There is only territory that is occupied by the righteous or territory that is occupied by the wicked. See, our building in Seattle was a Christian science cult for 90 years. It was an altar built to a pagan god that operated as a high place in the city, but not any longer. God's people are moving in, taking over and taking what the enemy intended for evil. And in fact, we are using it for good. See, it's funny. Christian scientists deny the Trinity and they replace the person of the Holy Spirit with a false God that they call, watch, divine science. Isn't it interesting that we've just come out of a two-year period where all we have heard on the news and in the culture is the phrase, trust the science. Hear me, friend. When we cut that ribbon tonight and officially dedicate that new building to the Lord, all of hell will shake knowing that the church of Jesus Christ is unafraid to go into dark places and take back what the enemy has stolen. Now watch. Jericho was the first city, but it wouldn't be the last. After Jericho came Jerusalem, Hebron, Bethel, Adullam, Ai, and others. In total, Joshua would lead campaigns, watch, against 31 different cities in the promised land. But Jericho is what gave confidence to God's people that if he helped them before, he would help them again. What if Snohomish is our Jericho? 
And what if there is still another 31 cities around this region that need the gospel more than you could ever imagine? What if the express purpose of Jericho is to give us confidence for Seattle, Kirkland, Bellevue, Spokane, Yakima, and beyond? See, Jericho was a domino that needed to fall. And when it did, it set off a chain reaction of victories that would establish the Hebrew children as a nation in a new land. Nothing of significance is birthed in the earth without struggle. I find it interesting what God tells Jer Joshua. He said, Jericho already been delivered, even though the battle has yet to be begun. In this moment, Joshua is simply being invited to catch up with where God already is. It's already been delivered. It's already been done. The victory has already been established. Watch, when the battle begins to the Lord, when the battle belongs to the Lord, you can't lose because it's not your reputation on the line, it's his. Your miracle already been delivered. Your victory already been delivered. Your breakthrough already been delivered. When a miracle happens, it is not God catching up with where we are. It is us catching up with where he is. Now watch verse three. I love this. March around the city. Once would all the armed men do this for six days. Then have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around that city seven times with the priests blowing their trumpets. Now watch, six is the number of man. Man was created on the sixth day. But seven is the number of God's completion, for God rests on the seventh day. The instruction that comes from God includes both numbers for a reason. March around the city for six days with armed men, but on the seventh day, take seven priests, march around seven times, and then blow your trumpets, and God will give you the victory. In every recorded miracle that God ever works, there is a human responsibility and a divine responsibility. Stretch out your hand, pick up your mat, step out of that boat, rise to your feet, walk out of that city, open your eyes, speak to that mountain, wash in the river, give and it will be given to you. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Why can't God just cause the walls of Jericho to fall while we stay in our tents and nap? Because God is looking for partners in the earth and you're one of them. Watch the instruction. Have seven priests carry seven trumpets in front of the ark and on the seventh day march around seven times and blow them trumpets. Do you know that there isn't anything inherently anointed about a trumpet? But there is something anointed about a priest there isn't anything inherently anointed about a harp, but there is something anointed about a shepherd boy named David who when he played it caused demons to flee. And you know what else? There isn't anything inherently anointed about selling insurance, making coffee, doing pest control, working in construction, but there is something anointed about a person who fears God and views their vocation as a kingdom initiative. The anointing doesn't rest on the task, it resides in the person. Which means I'm anointed at home and I'm anointed at work. 
I'm anointed in the highways and I'm anointed in the byways. I'm anointed in the city and I'm anointed in the country because anointing isn't what I do. Anointed is who I am. Hear me, friend. The anointing isn't on the object. It's in the person. But it causes the object to have a redemptive purpose. The building isn't anointed. The people are. But when an anointed people fill an ordinary building, the building takes on an anointed purpose. Let me prove it to you. 1 John 2. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. You do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. We were vacuuming up water on Thursday night because we had a flood in the basement. It didn't feel spiritual, but it was. We put new carpet in that building, painted that building, rewired that building, fixed plumbing in that building, did landscaping around that building. This church, friend, is a place where you can get involved if only you have the courage to try. I don't need spiritual heroes. I just need available friends who are willing to do small things in a big way so a region can come into its spiritual destiny. If you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. You won't serve God without a title. You won't serve one with one. Friend, as we reimagine our lives around the centrality of King Jesus, we don't disparage the day of small beginnings. We don't despise what may look like a small or an ordinary task. No, when everybody plays their part and the church becomes assembled into living stones in the house of God, it causes our gates to be opened, the city to prosper, and people to rejoice. Watch what happens in verse 5. When you hear them sound a long blast on those trumpets, have the whole army stand up with a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, the army will go up, and everyone straight in. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the walls collapsed. And everyone charged straight in and they took the city. Now they devoted the city to the Lord and they destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. Somebody asked me in the green room a few weeks ago, a new visitor. They said, Pastor, why are you always asking people to shout in church? I said, I'm glad you asked. 1 Samuel 4 and 5. When the ark of the Lord's covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised up such a great shout that the ground shook. Ezra 3 and 11, and all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house was laid. Psalms 33 and 3, sing unto him a new song, play skillfully and shout for joy. Psalm 95 and 1, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. I ask people to shout because we have a God 
God worth praising. I ask people to shout because God has given us the city. I ask people to shout because it disrupts the ordinary emotion of your day and creates a neurological timestamp that causes you to not ever forget that moment you was in. I can't prove it to be true, but I just wonder when the church of Jesus Christ shouts the panic attack that it gives the enemy. I wonder if he thinks that this is the shout of the Lord who's descending on clouds with angel armies. I wonder if he thinks this is the moment where all be bound and cast into the lake of fire for a thousand years. I wonder if there's a church waking up in the Northwest who will be unafraid to give their voice to the high king of glory because he is more worthy than we have ever dared to imagine. Now watch. See, there is something that happens when righteous people shout. It's a shockwave in the spirit realm. See, the word shout, it comes from the Hebrew word ruah. It means to split the ears with a sound, to sound the alarm, to destroy, to make a joyful noise, to shout for joy, victory, and triumph. I never been to a quiet protest. I never been to a quiet sporting event. I never been to a quiet birthday party, but I've been to a lot of quiet churches. Church has been too quiet in the Northwest for too long, but no longer. This is our season to raise a holy roar for God is giving us the city. Now watch, let me in here. I love this. For many years, secular historians doubted the historicity of Joshua 6. Oh, come on, that was just one of those make-believe stories. Oh yeah, people shouted and the walls came down, give me a break. It's interesting though. Recent archeological digs have confirmed the accuracy of Joshua 6. In fact, they say when they dug up the walls, they found something very interesting. When the walls of Jericho collapsed, they collapsed in on the city. Watch. And it created a natural land bridge that Joshua used to march right into the heart of Jericho. It tells me this. What has opposed you in this last season will become your stepping stone into the next season. It's no wonder David says in Psalms 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This is why no attack from the enemy can prosper against your life. Because when he sends an arrow, God makes it a stepping stone into the next season of your destiny. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises you up on the rock that is higher than I. When the enemy tries to throw every distraction at your family, all it does is become a foundation for you to walk right past the enemy's gates, right through the enemy's walls, and plunder what has always belonged to you. The Northwest has always belonged to God. It's never belonged to the enemy. And it's time for the church to find her roar for God 
is giving us Seattle. Come on, would you stand and give God a great shout in the Northwest? Come on, let me pray for you this morning. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask for your supernatural strength in our time of need, that you would cause us to stand, and after we've done everything to stand, continue to stand. God, I pray that you would give us the spirit of an overcomer, the spirit of a conqueror, not the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. God, I thank you that if you called us to it, there is no provision you will withhold from us to see the vision accomplished. And God, I pray now for supernatural courage in the hearts of those who are fighting hell in the hallways on the way to their destiny. You will not give up. You will not grow weary in well-doing. You will not lose your peace. You will not lose your joy. For the Lord, your God, walks with you and his anointing resides within you. So God, today, we offer you high praise and glory for everything you've done and everything you have yet to do. If you will be our God, we will be your people. And we give you all honor, glory, and praise in the church, both now and forever. Come on, all God's people said amen and amen.